Wow. Thank you. Thank you to our worship ministry and, and uh, all of you. Man, it is, uh, it, it is amazing that people tell me that you can't have a good choir in church anymore. Oh, well. <laughs> so much for that. We have one. I tell you, y'all knocked it out. I was very proud of you and very thankful. Here's why. Not just because you did sing on pitch and on key and all the other things, but you led me to Christ today. You led me into his presence. Uh, our one soloist there was uh, Gracie right over here. She was, she, you heard, she is 12, 12 years old going on 13. When you're 12, you have to say going on 13, right? Now, if she were up in her 30s, I'd be having to say she's barely 32 if she's just about turned, <laughs> turned 33. But anyway... Uh, open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. A uh, couple of quick things before we get in as you're turning there. Number one, this Wednesday night, uh, we have gotten in all of the Bibles. Many of you purchased a Bible for the pews. They we're going to replace those worn out red ones that are in there. Brand new, large print, very nice uh, New King James Bibles. And uh, I know you can't really see it from there, but you'll want to be here this Wednesday night if you can. Miss Iris Millsap, uh, is has hand calligraphied every one of those in honor or memory of your loved ones and mine and uh so i'm going to put just one down there for right now but this wednesday we'll have them out so you may see them and uh then we're going to pray and dedicate those to the lord's use because they're his and we're thankful to him for them nothing is better than his word amen what a greater gift so thank you to everyone who gave and made that possible and uh, that is just incredible, and uh, I just can't wait till this Wednesday night to, uh, to get those in. Thank you to Miss Iris also. Uh, many of you have heard that my wife is really sick this week. Uh, she is. She's not here today, so I'll be talking about her all morning. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but she has something. I don't know. I put a post in Facebook that said she was bad sick. And uh, that's the southern term, bad sick. And I said, uh, I have hence, just to be sure, banished her to the other end of the house. I, I had a photo of it that I put up and, uh, on Facebook. Yeah. You see the flaming sword and get out. Uh, somebody asked me, have you been feeding her, making sure she's taken care of? I told her no. I said, no, she's got to get well. I'm about to starve to death. <laughs> and uh, no, I have. I went and bought some chicken nuggets, and I've been shooting them back there with a slingshot every now and then when she <laughs> wants one. As I said, she's out today, so that's why uh, I'm telling all these lies about her. Uh, and I know she won't believe Pam when Pam tells her so, but anyway, <laughs> oh my goodness, how to recover from that? No, do pray for Miss Kim, all jokes aside, she really is sick, like the flu or the cold or something, it is in epidemic proportions, isn't it? And so be careful, uh, use lots of hand sanitizer, things like that, I've been doing so, I washed my hands before I left the house this morning and when I got here, so hopefully I didn't carry any of that with me. Uh, I know that you care, and I know that you'll pray. And uh, since answering God's call to be the pastor here at Calvary, about three years ago, I've come to know most of you pretty well. I'm still trying to learn to get to know some of you and, 
And that's why we have Sunday night fellowships and things like that. We're going to get those cranked up soon here, depending on the weather. But I really just want to get to know you. And one of the things that I have been amazed by about since coming to Calvary, amongst lots of other things, but it really is the depth of Calvary's love for one another. This is a church where, by and large, uh, the members care about one another. Our staff gathers every week. We pray for you. If you write down a prayer request, it gets prayed for. Uh, but you pray for one another. I'm amazed at how many times my wife's phone or my phone is blowing up from group text messages, so-and-so got hurt, or pray for so-and-so. And in times of real, real tragedy, difficulty, I've seen this church respond and respond the right way. And it makes all the difference in the world. People come to churches for a lot of reasons. The singing, the preaching, the whatever, convenience. But they stay at a church because of relationships. Do you get that? They come for a lot of reasons, but they stay because of the relationships. The way that this church cares for one another is a beautiful picture of one of the very purposes for which Christ uh, established the church. Today, three years later, I'm more committed to being your pastor in the future than I was even when I first came. I love you. I've got personal ties here. I know in my heart of hearts that this church, Calvary Baptist Church, is the church that God has called me to lead in the last years of my ministry. And I hope I have more than a few left. But I just want you to be sure uh, that I have a strong, clear confidence that God has called me here, and God wants me to stay here and lead into the future. And I am incredibly excited about it. I'm especially excited about it after I go up and look at the new building. I don't know if you've, well, I can't say go up there and look at it, but drive by and look at it. You're not supposed to pull onto the job site. The inspectors watch it for the city. And some idiot named Jack Holmesley went up there last week, walked in without a hard hat on and wasn't supposed to be there, so... We get a warning, but your pastor has already used it, okay? <laughs> I got ratted on, man. I got caught. So don't be on the job site, but please stop. Pull over. Go look at it and uh, check it out. It is awesome. And uh, I know that God really has a great future for this church. Now, one of the things we got to do is, as we get larger, we still have to care like a small church cares. We really do. We cannot, it's easy to build a big church. I've done it, but if you don't watch it, it'll be a mile wide and an inch deep. And that's not good. And Calvary is not that. Calvary is a good church and one of the caring church. And one of the reasons that we are a good church and growing is because we care. Now, whenever God is moving, whenever, and he is moving here, whenever there is a divine operation, there will always be a satanic opposition. Not every step of growing a great church is an easy step. Not every step is a comfortable step. In fact, we have to be ready for the challenges and the difficulties that lie ahead. I don't know of any coming down the pipe, but I'm guaranteeing you as your pastor, they will come down the pipe. That's why I'm going to speak to you today very personally. I was going to start a new series, but I'm not. As I sought the Lord about it this week, I've just noticed that a lot of our church members are struggling. A lot of us, since I've been here in three years, and we do have an older aging congregation, but we've experienced a lot of tragedy, a lot of loss, a lot of death, a lot of sickness. And so I want to 
help you. I really just want from my pastor's heart to help you about how to deal with tragedy, how to deal better with loss and difficulties and get through them. Some of you have already experienced them, deep tragedies. Some of you have had great loss in your life. Some of you minimal loss. But if we all live long enough, the only way to get out of that is to die early, to be one of the tragedies. It really is. If you live long enough, you will suffer loss and tragedy. And uh, so, I mean, all of us will. So this will be a message for all of us today. And we're going to look at two passages from God's Word. First, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12. And you hear these words. And this was written to Christians about how to help and encourage one another in difficult times. It comes off the tail end of a passage where he's talked about the Lord chastening some of them. And so some have been chastened, some are suffering, and he says this, Therefore, because of that, strengthen the hands which hang down. Isn't that a picture? And the feeble knees. You've got slumping, physical identification marks of, of suffering and disheartenment. Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people, and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Here's a key verse, isn't it? Looking carefully. Literally, he's saying, looking carefully amongst yourselves. Watching lest any one fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, our experience is such in this life, and sometimes I think it's because we don't understand good, solid theology. That's why we're doing a theological study of doctrinal basics on Wednesday night. My experience has been, or our experience is such, that when a real loss occurs in our life. So, I mean, I'm talking about something that really hurts. Loss of a child. I'm talking about major tragedy. Sometimes as Christians, we get shocked. We get stunned. We're in disbelief. We're kind of like, I mean, I'm living for the Lord. Why would he let that happen to me? But continually, I believe we need to remind ourselves that though we have been redeemed, hear me, we live in a fallen world, don't we? A sin-filled world. And when God created this world, it was right. Everything was good. But then sin entered into it and ruined it. And since that time, sin has been causing all sorts of tragedies, death, murder, you name it. And unspeakable things because of sin. Unspeakable things people will do. Unspeakable things. And, and many times... God And God created us with a free will, right? We could choose to do good or we could choose to do bad. We can choose to follow Him or we can choose to go against Him. With that free will, there also comes the fact that when people choose to do wrong things in our world, many times innocent people suffer, don't they? 
I mean, they really do. Now, God has not hidden this. God is brutally honest about this in the Bible, that sometimes bad things happen to good people, bystanders, you might say. In this life, he's very clear. We don't get what we deserve. Now, as to tragedies, things that are difficult to understand, there are two mistakes, primary ones, that I see Christians make a lot. Number one, if everything's going good and things are happening and I'm getting blessed, I'll, I'll tend to think, boy, I'm doing pretty good and good things are happening, so I must be doing pretty good and pleasing God pretty well because he's given me the rewards. Not necessarily. The other thing that we do is the exact opposite of that. If things start going bad, I can, if I'm not watched, I can, if I don't watch it, I can say, well, all these bad things happening to me must prove that I'm just bad. I'm always what my dad said. I'm never going to make it. I'm, I'm messing up. And, and I guess when I mess up as a result of my failures, God just punishes me. Now that's wrong. That is just wrong. In fact, I want you to keep your place in the book of Hebrews. Go to your left and turn over to the gospel according to Luke. Find Luke chapter 13. Because Jesus in Luke chapter 13, he addresses this. He actually uses two events that happened in his time here while he was here. There were a couple of tragedies. And somebody asks him about them. Like, how do these people, how are these people suffering? These were good people. Why were they suffering? And, you know, they always seem to think that, didn't they? Just like we do. You know, you see a man born blind and the Pharisees say, well, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What did Jesus say? Neither one. He's just born blind that the glory of God might be shown in his life. And then Jesus healed him. But we always tend to think if bad things happen, God's punishing. If good things happen, God's rewarding him. No, that is not the case at all. I'm not saying it can't happen, but I, I, I'm telling you, most of the time, it's not that way. So in Luke chapter 13, I love this passage. There were some present at that season. Uh, there were some present at that season, some who told him about the Galileans, now the writer assumes that you would know the story, right? Because he was writing to first century Christians. About the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now look at me. Evidently there were some people in Galilee, Galileans, who had been there in the temple during the time of the animal sacrifices. They sacrificed real animals to God, lambs, sheep, all sorts of things. And so uh, doves and, and so... All that was a symbol of the Christ who was going to be the real lamb coming and dying and shedding his blood to pay for our sins. But evidently in the middle of this holy ceremony, these people worshiping God, Pilate, the Roman procurator, had come in, and, or probably not him himself, but he probably had Roman troops come in. And it sounds like they came into the temple and killed some people who were worshiping God. So much so that their blood, when it rained, drained out, mingled with the blood of the sacrificial lambs. Well, you would watch that and say, how in the world could God let that happen? What a tragedy. How unspeakable. Why? These people were worshiping God. God, where were you? God, are you not watching? That's what you would have said. That's what I would have probably said. I'm sure I would have said it. So they're asking Jesus, like, how could this bad thing happen to good people? Now look at verse 2. And Jesus answered and said to them, 
Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you what. No. Now look at the next verse. And then Jesus tells a story. There obviously was a tower that they were building or had built. They don't tell that, but it, but it fell. Jesus and killed people. Look at verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I mean, like, is God punishing them? Was this a judgment of God on them? And what does Jesus say? No. Now listen, look at me right here. That's the lesson I want you to get today from that. Sometimes we suffer innocently let me tell you why. It's this. Not everything that happens on this earth today, right now, is God's will. Now, I'm sorry if your view of sovereignty is so overstated that you believe that God is responsible for both good and evil, but that is heresy. Because God's will does not always happen on this earth today. I remember after 9-11... Remember when the planes flew into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and the crash of the airliner and different things? And uh, people began to question why. And you would have thought America would have flocked to churches. Well, I had one religious leader come in. He was a teacher and he was teaching at our church, I think, on a Wednesday night. And he literally said, that was God's will. And I immediately stopped his session on a Wednesday night. And said, uh, brother, that is not accurate. I don't believe you can prove that. I'm not saying it couldn't be, but I don't believe that to be God's will, and you're not going to teach that here. Now, that made for a real interesting Wednesday night. But listen, don't blame God for acts of evil men who fly buildings into plane and kill babies and women and children and innocent people. Don't blame God for rape. Don't blame God for death and murder and mayhem. Don't blame God for childhood and rape and incest. Don't blame God. Those things are evil and a holy God in heaven is opposed to such things. Don't blame God for those things. Now, the world is not such that God, I don't hold a view of sovereignty that God spun the world up. I'm not a deist. I don't believe that he spun the universe up and then just kind of backed off and forgot about it and left it to his own while he's over here doing other things. No, no, no. God is ultimately in control, but God is not the author of evil. Sometimes things happen on this earth, and I would say many times, that are not God's will. God's will is not always done on earth. I'll prove it again. Listen, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, God is not willing that any should perish. But do people perish? It says God is not willing that any should perish, but he is willing that all should come to repentance. Do some people come to repentance? Do some people never come to repentance? That's true. And so all don't repent. You know why some people perish? Because God doesn't typically, every now and then he will, but God doesn't typically force his perfect will on all of humanity. That's exactly and precisely why the Lord Jesus himself taught us to pray this way. You remember it? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom 
come. We're praying that His kingdom would come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, future, on earth, as it is done, present tense, in where? Heaven. Now, every time we pray that prayer, we're praying, may the day come, Lord, when your will shall be done, will be, present tense, on the earth every day, because it is not being done always on the earth now that's what jesus said thy kingdom come thy will be done may a day come when your will will be done on earth as it what is done in heaven where is god's perfect will executed every time constantly and continually in heaven jesus contrasted that with here where god's will is not always done that's so simple even a caveman can figure it out now Since we live in a fallen, sinful world where tragedies and suffering happen, and since we know that innocent people often suffer as a result of us making bad decisions and evil in this world, I want to give you, as your pastor, because I love you and care about you, four principles, because a lot of us have been suffering. And I want to give you these principles from God's Word on how to respond to tragedy, if you'll write them down. Number one, this is huge. I must learn to express my grief. You don't have PowerPoint this week, I apologize. But I must learn to express my grief. When you go through a tragedy, and that is inevitably going to happen to every one of us if we live long enough, an important first step is to go ahead and express your grief. You see, here's why. By their nature... Tragedies, real deep hurts, always create very deep and strong emotions, don't they? I went back and watched recently, a while, maybe three months ago, I pulled out a video that I have of news clips on 9-11 and watched those planes. You're standing on the ground and all of a sudden one of the buildings is on fire and you hear, (laughs) flies into it and... Then you watch that and you see people jumping out of those floors because of... And I saw... I don't even like to watch it. Does that stir up emotions in me? Yeah. Oh, sadness. Anger. Immense anger. I want to go kill terrorists who do things like that. Support our military. I mean, I just... You get... Oh, my goodness. People that wicked... And, and then you just get all these emotions and, and, and you can watch that and it's just like, man, an and intense, intense sorrow and disgust, all kinds of emotions. Now, the challenge is when we have those kind of intense emotions like that, a lot of us, most of us don't really know what to do with them when they're hitting us. And if we don't watch it, they'll get overwhelmed, uh, overwhelming to us. If you don't deal with severe emotions properly your recovery from a tragedy will always take far longer than it should say than if for instance you just uh stuff it down that's the way some of us do right we just eh, i won't cry i gotta be strong for everybody else i just gotta keep going some people do that when they have emotions they don't know how to handle it so they deny them they just stuff them down ignore them In fact, a lot of times, here's what we do. As Christians, if we don't watch it, we can even use God as a reason to stuff our emotions. I don't know that we do it so much as a cop-out, but here's what we do. 
we get to thinking, you know, I'm supposed to be a mature Christian. I shouldn't be grieving this long. You ever had that thought come into your mind? Boy, you ought to be a pastor. You know, I feel like, uh, boy, last week or so when David Mullaney passed away, I don't know why I led that guy to the Lord. I don't know why it hurt so bad, but I led him to the Lord less than a year ago. And right back in that little room there, he accepted Christ. And God just changed his life radically. I've known some of you three, four, five, ten times longer than I've known him. But when he died, for some reason, that really affected me. And that was one funeral that, to be honest with you, I just kind of wanted to sit out there. I told Tony this morning, I kind of wanted to sit out there and be ministered to. But then, you know, I'm the preacher. I got to be strong. You know, we have that happen to us sometimes, don't we, in the midst of real suffering. And we'll say, well, you know, if I was a mature Christian, I shouldn't be, you know, maybe I shouldn't be grieving that bad. But listen. That just isn't so. It's not unspiritual to grieve. God knows us better than that. He knows. God knows how it feels to watch his own child die. He knows. He knows the hurt. He knows the pain. And God doesn't expect you and I. I love where David says in the Old Testament, he knows our frame. He remembers we are but dust. When I'm suffering and I'm grieving or emotions are overwhelming me, and I tend to say, ah, I'm not hurting. I, I need to shake it off. God says, you know, Jack, I know your frame. I made you. I've took a little dust, breathed into you the breath of life. You're not me. It's okay to grieve. It's the Lord gets grieved. He's never overwhelmed with it, but the Lord grieves. The Bible talks about it grieving God to do certain things. And so God is big enough. So the first thing I've got to do is learn to express my grief. In Matthew 5, 4, the Lord said these words. It took me a long time to figure them out as a Christian. Blessed are they which mourn. You ever heard that out of the Beatitudes? Blessed. I always thought, what is the, why would he say blessed are they who mourn? It's because when you mourn, he says, you shall be comforted. Sometimes mourning is the way to healing. You know why mourning is the way to healing for the Christian? Because the Lord is near to them that are of a broken heart. And he saves such as be of a crushed spirit. So listen, it's okay to grieve. You have to face your feelings. You don't, with feelings, here's what you don't do. You don't repress them and push them down. Now, you don't over-rehearse them and play them unforgettably, tormenting yourself for the rest of your life, printing it, you know, repeating it over and over. So you don't repress them, you don't, you don't rehearse them, but here's what you do. Through grief and prayer to God, you release them. You release them. You tell God exactly how you feel. And God says, blessed are they who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Aren't you glad? Grief is a natural part of life. Number one, I express my grief. Number two, here's what you got to do through the tough times, the real tough ones. You must get help from others. You are never built to live this life alone. This is one of the primary reasons that the church exists, to help one another. That's one of the things Calvary does so well. 
Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. It is a big mistake when you're going through a crisis or a failure to isolate yourself. Amen? Amen? Now listen to me. We say that, but we don't believe it. Because when we get to hurting, we say, I just want to be alone. I don't want anybody near me. And that can be very self-destructive. We need one another's encouragement. We need one another's strengthening. We need one another's comfort. We need one another's help. We need sometimes, sometimes, we just need people's presence. Maybe they don't have all the answers to our sufferings, but maybe they just come up and... You ever had somebody do that to you? Just give you a physical touch. They didn't say a word. But they just sat with you. And it meant the world to you. We need one another. I've got to get help from others. You say, Jack, do you get help? Yes. I get help from lots of you. And I get help at least once a month from a Christian counselor that I know. I call him and guess what? He calls me. And sometimes we cry on one another's shoulder. I can't tell you the things that he and I have bared to one another but each of us has borne the other's burdens through the years. And I've known him for 30 years, and he's one of the most godly men that I've ever known. His name is Mark Durkin. I'm going to introduce you to him soon. What a great man, but we need help from others. And in fact, in fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the, we were in Hebrews 12, says this. Looking carefully. You remember I asked you to underline that or notice that? Looking carefully. The idea is he's speaking to a congregation. Looking out amongst yourselves carefully. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. It's talking about looking out for one another. Caring for one another as a family of God. To make it through a tragedy. We don't only need the promises of God. We do need those. But we also need the people of God. And as we grow... We must not lose our closeness. Are you hearing me? We've got to reach out to people that we don't know, that people who don't look like us, they don't talk like us, but listen, they are people. They are people for whom Jesus died, and they have burdens, and they need a place like Calvary. People who don't go to church today really suffer alone. They've moved away from their families they moved away from their support systems many, many times, and they need others just like we do. This is one of the reasons that I'm so adamant about the fact that you need to not only come to a Sunday morning gathering like this, but you need to be in a small group. You need to be in one of our Sunday school classes because they gather every Sunday morning and they open God's Word together and they say, do we have any prayer requests? Anybody have any needs? My wife's phone will blow up when somebody in her son Sunday school room gets injured. So-and-so's injured. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. I tell her sometimes, you know you can opt out of those group messages, right? She's like, no, I can't. No, I can't. we got to care for one another, and she's right. But listen, when a crisis comes, if you don't have those relationships in place, who's going to hold you up? So join us. We're fellow sufferers. We love to have people help us when we hurt, and we love to help others when they hurt. So first, I express my grief. Second, I've got to get help from others. Third, I must refuse to get bitter. 
Now, please listen to your pastor. When you have a tragedy, a real, I'm talking about something huge happen in your life, destructive, you've got to make a conscious decision not to let it turn you bitter. Not to let it make you a bitter person. I've seen people, haven't you seen them? They go through something terrible, devastating. Nobody questions the effect of the, of the incident. But then they just get within themselves or they get within a bottle or they get within a million things, but they become the most bitter, angry person you could ever imagine. You have to watch bitter, bitterness, bitterness. You have to watch it so, so hard. In Job chapter 21, don't go there, but Job is experiencing all of this loss. He's lost his family, his possessions. He is suffering physically. He is in some desperately dark days. And Job is trying to find answers. And he's struggling about how people handle things differently. And here's how he describes it. One man dies in full strength, being wholly at ease and secure. His pails are full of milk, and the marrow of his bones is moist. He's talking about a person who is handling death properly. Another man, he says, dies in the bitterness of his soul, never once having eaten a meal in pleasure. How tragic it is when we get so poisoned by bitterness that we can't even enjoy a meal. And you and I are going to have to decide Ladies and gentlemen, when a tragedy comes, when we go through disasters, I am not going to allow this to make me bitter. God, with your help, I want you to make me better. Amen. When I went through a recent heart attack and two years ago an aortic aneurysm, by the way, y'all probably should have called a younger man. I'm telling you, I've had somebody said, please be careful, don't get sick with Kim. I think it was Ginger Basil. She said, you've been sick enough or something. Somebody told me that this morning. I said, you aren't kidding. When I went through that, you know what the attitude I tried to take was? Lord, you're teaching me to be a better pastor. Because before I had a heart attack, I'd go visit people who had a heart attack, and I'd be out, and I'd say, oh, come on, just eat one burger. <laughs> Playing the devil, you know. Oh, come on, a little bit of... Liver mush won't hurt you. I got news for you. A little bit of liver mush might not hurt you, but a whole lot of liver mush will kill you. <laughs> if you eat it and cook it enough grease long enough in many years. So I'm saying, Lord, you make me a better pastor through my sufferings. You teach me how to not come into a, ho a, a hospital room and just kind of say, that's ah, okay, I hope you're doing well. No, no, no. He's teaching me how to sympathize. But you have a choice, don't you, when you go through suffering? Am I going to let it make me bitter or am I going to let it make me better? When we looked in Hebrews, it said, Look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And then he noticed what he tags on behind that. How would you fail at the grace of God? Lest any root of bitterness springs up among you, and thereby many be defiled. He says, Watch out. Watch out when you're suffering. Because you can get bitter if you don't watch it. You ever suffered? You ever been done wrong? Not just physically. You ever been done wrong and a root of bitterness spring up? Hmm? You watch it. You watch it because it will spring up and it will defile many. 
lot of people can get hurt. Great potential refute for damage. Refuse to be bitter. It only causes problems in your whole life. <laughs> I love this little story that I heard about a man. And he had a little boy about two, two and a half, you know, when they're cute until they grow up too much. And uh, had a little boy named Luke. They were sitting at the table. He was reading him a book. And he said, now, Luke, can you tell me who made the trees? And the little boy was kind of laughing. He said, Luke did. And his daddy kind of laughed. He said, no, Luke, you know you didn't make the trees. God made the trees. He said, now, Luke, look outside. Can you tell me who made the sky? The little boy was going further now. He was enjoying it. He said, Luke made the sky. He said, now, Luke, you know God made the sky. You didn't make the sky. Oh, boy, that little kid was getting on his dad now. And he said, uh, Luke, who made all the stars, the beautiful stars up in the beautiful starry sky? He said, Luke did. And... Uh, his daddy said, now, Luke, you know good and well. And the little boy just laughing, laughing, having a good time. You know God made those things. Well, the next morning, the dad walked down. Luke was sitting at the breakfast table, and he spilled his milk. And so his daddy said, Luke, who spilled that milk? You know what the little boy said? Yeah, exactly. God did. <laughs> I mean, like, Lord, if something good happens, I did it. Anything bad happens... Oh boy, you ever noticed how insurance companies operate? Ha, I'm sure you have. I have for the last two years. But I am always amazed at what they call an act of God. What do they call an act of God? Tornado, hurricane, catastrophe, lightning, floods, yes, all this stuff. Yeah, those are acts of God. And I just want to go, no, 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 no. Listen to me. You want to know what an act of God is? Go to the maternity ward and watch a new baby being born. That's an act of God. Amen? You want to know what an act of God is, my dear friend? Go and see a person accept Christ and have their life changed when they've been conquered by sin all their life. You want to see an act of God, see a marriage put back together. You want to see an act of God, see a person physically healed of cancer. Those are acts of God. But, but we, we blame God, don't we? For the bad thing that happens. Now how do you keep from being bitter when real tragedies hit you? Because it's hard, isn't it? It's easy to stand up here and talk about it. But it's really hard. It's a battle. What's the antidote? Here's what I think are two things that will help you. Number one, I really believe there just comes... Now this is just how to keep from getting bitter. Accept what you cannot change. I think there comes a point, I know there comes a point, when something tragic happens, sometimes it's a death, other things, you just need to quit trying to fight it and just accept what cannot be changed. You see, sometimes we think faith is this mystical power whereby if we just believe it long enough like the little engine that could, I think I can, I think I can, that that, that loved one will come back or that that tragedy won't be as bad. But listen, faith is not pretending that everything is great in your life. You remember the movie with Pollyanna on it years ago? My movie illustrations are so old. The little girl, Pollyanna, in the small town. and She always was cheery and everything's good and everything's bright. And everything's good. And no, everything's not cheery and everything's not bright. 
Faith is facing the facts and not being defeated. Faith, can you write that down? Faith is facing the facts of life, but not being defeated by them. That's what real faith is. Lord, this happened, and I cannot deny it, and I can't fix it, but I trust you through it. That's what real faith is. What I'm saying is this. The only way to overcome some problems in life is to accept them and move on. Your past is the past. That's why we call it the past. It's in the past. It's over and it can't continue to hurt you, your past, unless you allow it to. So I not only accept what cannot be changed to avoid bitterness. Secondly, this is critical. I accept what I can't change, but here, I focus on what I have left, not what I lost. Oh boy, that's so big. I must focus on what's left, not what's lost. I will tell this story because my wife is not here today. I don't tell it to be cutting up with her. I'm so impressed by her ability to do this point. I can't do it as well as she can. My wife was incredibly close to her mother. She had a real godly mom. We had had Jonathan, our firstborn. She had no other grandchildren, and she loved that boy so much it was unbelievable. And then we had Amy, and she loved those grandkids. And she was finally... My, my wife's dad was a severe alcoholic, drank all the time. She, her mama just had a tough time. Don't, please don't go sharing the private stuff. But I, I just share this by way of a, to t- tell you how much she loved her mama. Her mama was a good Christian woman. Went to Hoskins Avenue Baptist Church for years. Good Christian woman. On the day her mama died, she was sitting on her couch. Kim came in. Her mama was sitting on the couch. She said to Kim, we didn't know she was sick. She said, Come here and sit down with me, honey, and talk to me just a minute. Kim didn't know. So she said, Mom, I can't. Jack's waiting on me. I got to go. Never thought about it. Went out the door. That night, her mother, on December 22nd, her mother died. She never got to speak to her. Never got to talk to her. I knew it was going to be bad when we got into the ER because I had come up to the house and tried mouth to mouth and she was gone. She was gone. She walked into the ER, saw her mom lying there, her body. She didn't want to live. I mean, Kim usually gets over stuff, but she didn't get over it. Two weeks in, I'd say, what's the matter? And she would start crying. And, and that's not like her. Now, you know her. She's, she's a tough, resilient woman. And she, she said, I just want to go be with Mama. I'll never forget being at Statesville Road Baptist Church. I pulled a little interim stint there. And this little old lady about yay tall, maybe, <laughs> named Bess, Bessie Blackburn. She was from the coal fields of Kentucky, tough as nails good lady love the lord she came up to her one day said what's the matter with you she said i just i really just honestly i i want to go be with my mama miss bessie probably reached up about this high lovingly took her by the 
jacket that she had on and she said, you look at your babies. They need you. Stop this. Your babies and your husband need you. From that day forward, Kim started looking at what she had left, not what she had lost. That's what you got to do. Sometimes we just need somebody to shake us, don't we? A little bit in love, not, not shake us too hard, but lovingly say, look at what you've got left. Focus on what you've got. It's a matter of focus, you see. I admit that I can't change it, and I just accept it. And I say, God, I need your help. And then I'm going to look at what I've got left. i got to look because there are people around me who need me. And you say, there's nobody who needs me. Oh, yes, there is. You just can't see them because you're too focused on what you've lost. When you accept that and you begin to look around you, you'll see those you have left. And you choose God's goodness. Listen, here's a big statement. You choose to focus on God's goodness because, listen, gratitude and depression cannot exist in the same body. Gratitude and depression cannot exist. You want to get over depression? Then along with proper counseling and your doctor's care, maybe medications, listen, start making a list of all the good things in your life. Because you cannot be grateful and depressed at the same time. And the fact is, now listen to me, there are people in this world who would love to have your problems. Oh, yes, there are. They'd love to have your problems. Because some of them are worried about, am I going to get a bite for my babies today? We didn't eat yesterday. Am I going to have a place to sleep tonight? I love the old expression, I complained I had no shoes until I saw someone who had no feet. So you focus on what's left, not what's lost. And then as I close, and I really do, you must remember what's really important. When you're going through a tragedy, you have to remember what's really important. Tragedy, deep hurt, and loss. They have a way of really clarifying what's really important, don't they? Has a way of pointing out what really matters and what what really doesn't matter. Disasters help remind us of what's really important. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said these words. I would remind you of them as you try to focus your life on what's really important. And that's God's kingdom and God's will and the people around you in life that you have left. A man's life, Jesus said, a woman's life, a man's life, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of things they own. Never, ever get to a stage in your life where you, can, you confuse your net worth with your self-worth. Where you confuse your possessions with God's purpose in your life. Never confuse what you're living on with what you're living for. 
Keep those priorities in order. Remember what's really important. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he owns. Life's tragedies define for us the things that are really important, the things that really count. And you know what? When you go through a life-shattering, life-shaking tragedy, you discover that the greatest things in life aren't things. What really matters are relationships, aren't they? A relationship to God. Is that big when you go through a tragedy? You better believe it. A relationship to others. Is that that important when we go through life-shaking events? Absolutely. Because none of us are promised tomorrow. And we've got to live as good as we can for the kingdom today. And help give other people the comfort that we share with one another and that he shared with us. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. The first relationship that is so important do you have a relationship with jesus christ do you didn't ask you if you're religious or if you go to church i ask you do you have a personal relationship with jesus christ you say man i could have a personal relationship with him oh yes oh yes oh yes one more personal than you could ever imagine and i want to encourage you today if you're not sure of your salvation That Jesus Christ is the only way that many of us have been able to make it through the difficulties of this life. I promise you that. He loves you and he wants to save you. In just a moment, we're going to give what we call an invitation. Everyone's going to stand in a moment and sing. And you're going to see people coming forward for prayer or other things. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you could just walk down this aisle and take the hand of Ryan or Tony or myself, one of our pastors. And we can tell you very simply how to have a relationship with Jesus. You can pray a prayer to establish that relationship. And after we've prayed with you, you can turn and go right back to your seat. People do it all the time here. It's not something that should be uncomfortable at all. Now, if you have a relationship with Jesus, let me just ask a couple of questions and then we'll have our final song. Where are you in this message? Do you need to express your grief Have you held back for whatever reasons? Do you need to just accept what has happened and just grieve to God and say, God, I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. God's big enough to handle it. He loves you. Blessed are they who mourn. Do you need to mourn? They shall be comforted. Maybe you've been mourning and you need to get help from others. Do you need to be part of a small group, a Sunday school class? Come and experiment. There are classes all underneath this floor that we're sitting on, down on our lower level, adult classes, children's classes, youth classes. There's one just for you, I promise. How about you? Are you getting bitter? Maybe you've been letting some situation just haunt you too much, and maybe you need to to focus on what's left, not what's lost. <clears throat> Others around you need you. Father, this morning you have reminded us of what's really important. Help us to work on that now. Help us to respond, Holy Spirit. Flood this place. Help us to be very honest with you, lest this becomes a root of bitterness 
Help us to choose to get better. In Jesus' name, amen.